2: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
3: You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Trumpets. How's it going, Matt?
2: It's going pretty well. How about yourself there? It's actually almost a surprise to see you here, if I may say so.
3: Yeah, it's been an interesting week for Missed Apex admin, strap in admin fans. We were going to speak to Joe tomorrow, so I was going to give myself a break today. But since he's struggling to get a Chinese visa, he's going to be running around Paris. So we're going to speak to Joe on Tuesday. I'm going to be speaking to you lovely gents today. And we're going to do some F1 news and I think quite a meaty Chinese preview. Also joined by Chris Stevens. Hey, Chris. Hey, Spanners. Spanners. I'll remind the audience that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Tell you what, why don't we go straight into some Big Dirty News, Matt? Big Dirty News.
2: Yeah. So the biggest, dirtiest news uh, and the biggest unanswered question coming out of Bahrain was what exactly happened to Charles Leclerc's engine? And we've had some a little bit of, quote unquote, clarity from Ferrari on this in that they specified that one of the injectors for one of the cylinders had a short circuit in it and that this is a fault that they'd never before seen in this component. And that they were going to investigate that. And furthermore, we now have confirmation he will be using the same power unit in China that he used in Bahrain. So there is no terminal damage to the ice itself from this uh, cylinder deactivation. But it still leaves an awful lot of questions hanging in the air. Um and I know you have your thoughts on this. I've heard I've heard you might have an opinion on this because it is opinion. kind of in your <laughs> wheelhouse. But from my point of view, we have learned that the actual control unit for the injector where the fault has uh, supposedly occurred is is a third party. But I wonder is this a thing that happened because of a simple manufacturing defect in this particular component? Or was it being required to operate outside the parameters, which it was designed for because there was another problem with the Ferrari? Or are we just missing the picture entirely here? And Ferrari is simply, uh, you know, the engineers are playing games with their publicist uh, to, to amuse themselves with the journalist reactions.
3: So there's loads to unpack here. And the thing that I initially put on Twitter was that it just didn't sit right. The explanation didn't sit right. So, of course, first, we all went away from the Bahrain Grand Prix thinking it was the MGU-H, so something to do with the recovery system. And then it later transpired that it was first that it was a drop cylinder, it was an injector, and then later on clarified that it was a, and here are the words, a short circuit in the injection control unit. And the injection control unit being a separate, like, discrete electronics unit plugged onto the, the side of the power unit. Not made by Ferrari, But that is what, you know, regulates when the injectors go off and stuff like that. So the language is a little bit flaky because a short circuit is a very specific thing. It's where part of the conductive circuit is is closed where it's closed. In fact, that's all it means is that it's closed. It could be deliberately closed. You could have a short circuit like you make a circuit when you switch a light switch and that shorts between the terminals. It goes through the load of your light bulb and then goes through to the return. It seems very unlikely to me, Matt, and this was what I said on the face of it, that you could have a short circuit in an electronics unit that just developed over uh, over the course of a race distance, unless you had some real problem with overheating and shearing. But I- I've never seen this unit. But from the description, I would I would think it would just be a probably a hermetically sealed box with a few circuit cards in it, perhaps one for each injector, some very limited ribbon cabling, it just seems unlikely to me that you would have a short circuit that you could detect th- that caused a problem during the race, but was not detected at startup. Generally, those kind of short circuit faults are present all the time. So it kind of made me go, hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah. And, and, and it makes sense when you put it like that, because the box is a sealed box. So like I said, absent a uh, manufacturing defect, there's probably not a lot of wires internally for that kind of a thing to happen. Is that? what you're attempting That's to get I'm across at. to us. Yeah.
3: yeah. Let's see what Chris says and then I'll I'll clarify a bit more.
4: Well, it all sounds a bit familiar to when Sebastian Vettel lost a spark plug in Japan a few years ago, didn't he? There was sort of the derailment of his uh, championship contention that season. 2017. Well, it was, it was a, a non-Ferrari part that, that failed uh, and uh, quite an you know, indisposable part. Um, there wasn't like of, of much significance that they just kind of swept under the rug um, it's an even, you know, more minute part uh, this time around, though, isn't it? Uh,
3: no, well, I, well, if it is what they're saying it is, then it's a fault with an electronics unit. And that is a, you know, it's a significant chunk of electronics that does its job. And they, they are saying it's
4: rare and it's never happened before. Chris? What we can take away from it, regardless of their explanation, um, is what we can for a fact take away from it that the, the idea that the ferrari cannot run at full chat reliably is uh yep. is, is pretty much ringing true
3: yep okay and uh don't skip to the end no spoilers here i'm in full flow and as the chat room's saying me talking electronics is like matt talking tires oh wait no that's a terrible thing okay i'll wrap this up as quickly as possible of course there is a language barrier and they could be talking more generally a short circuit is often incorrectly used to describe any kind of electronics fault. That's fine. The problem I've got in general, Matt, is we had a a failure get reported, an MGUH, to the layman, to you and I, because I'm not a mechanical engineer. It's it, it, it seemed to make sense in that they were losing power at the top end. It seemed to be accelerating at the same kind of rate. So even watching Lewis Hamilton uh, following behind the corners, the, he was getting out of the corner And then Lewis Hamilton obviously was then closing up on the straight. They've got this kind of crucial fault in what is now probably their number one driver, fishing to trigger a few Vettel fans. I'm only joking. Um, But certainly taking an engine penalty at this point is not good. And then all of a sudden it gets reported, oh no, don't worry. It's not something that has to give us a penalty. It's not what it looked like. It is actually a third-party electronics unit that we can easily change penalty-free. It's a little convenient.
2: Now, wait a minute. I'm willing to accept that their description of it being a short circuit is what it is, is being incorrect or poorly worded or somewhat inaccurate. Because, you know, honestly, if you're thinking short circuit, you'd you'd much more likely think of something like a wiring loom being done improperly and, and, and chafing and then eventually going... And there are definitely electrical leads out, like a current flows through to the injectors that I think are about 96 volts to each injector. So you could easily see a problem happening there. Um, But I don't think the damage, whatever the problem actually is, I don't think Ferrari could get away with replacing something that would cause them to take an engine penalty without actually... Having to take an engine penalty. I guess that, that would be my rejoinder. Oh, no. I mean, you're not walking down that path, right? Oh,
3: no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not implying a, a consp- I am actually, aren't I? I cl- that is clearly what I'm doing. All right. Look, <laughs> that's, that's how it came across to me. I'm not accusing anyone of wrongdoing. I'm just saying you could be forgi- one could be forgiven for going, huh, hang on a minute. Bruce Wayne in the chat room, Chris, uh, sort of gets us onto the point you were making, which is I don't think, the suspicion that Ferrari can't push 100% rings true because out of Vettel, Räikkönen, Giovinazzi, Grosjean and Magnussen, only Leclerc had a problem. However, let's say that all the problems we've seen, and there have been many now throughout testing, and we've seen problems now with this new electronics unit, this alleged electronics unit that has gone wrong, they could all be symptoms of the way everything is packaged and run. So you could have... Sauber and has not pushing it as far or as hard. But what we've seen, Chris, is Australia, no performance, no, no problems. Testing, performance and problems. Bahrain, performance and problems.
4: Yeah, it's a hard pattern to ignore, isn't it? And you would have to say that it's more likely that Ferrari have uh, maybe even said to their customers, we're not 100% about the reliability if you run this at full chat. So maybe don't do that just yet until we're sure that we can provide that reliability and Ferrari will be the ones kind of experimenting with it. And, you know, you can't deny the night and day turnaround that they had between two races. Yet some of that is going to be in the chassis and the setup as well, supposedly. But suddenly there's all this talk about how the Ferrari is this demon on the straights. Well, there you go, Matt. So actually, we're
3: talking about the customer teams being slower but more reliable, almost backing up our, our premise. And I don't think we're the only ones having it, that Ferrari are really pushing that performance at the cost of some percentage of reliability.
2: Yeah, well, that, that is always sort of the trade-off. If we look at the whole pattern, uh, in, in Barcelona, they were quick, and Australia, they were very slow. And now in Bahrain, they are quick again. Uh, and they had reliability issues, uh, both in Barcelona and in Bahrain. So, yeah, it makes sense. I'm going to read some words to you from Mark Jackson in the chat room. Yes. Uh, depends on the PCB laminate. Uh, did they exceed the laminate operating range that's shorting out due to creepage clearance because the OCB warped, for example? And I'm going to assume you know what that means.
3: Uh, yes. Of course I do. Chris, where do you see them going with this in China? Do you see them gambling again?
4: Well, I mean, I would certainly hope so. In... China, you could get away with running it in qualifying, maybe certainly would explain, you know, why their, their qualifying pace suddenly turned around. Maybe in the race, they do need to turn it down, but we've got two really good tracks coming up to kind of test this theory. You know, Shanghai, Baku, very, very much power sensitive tracks. So if we're going to get an answer to the theory, it's going to be the next two races.
3: Roger that right let's move on with some more uh, big dirty news I suppose the big news guys is that there is a new championship contender on the line and I don't think anyone is massively surprised by this but Matt uh, the reaction afterwards from the drivers is it telling Charles Leclerc was saying it's up to me to turn it around i.e. him being the number two driver and he started in the right direction.
2: Yeah, well, I think that was the performance we've been waiting for from Leclerc, given all the hype that accompanied him and his transfer to Ferrari. And it raises big questions for Vettel. But that said, I mean, Vettel was on record as saying absolutely that that the car did not suit him at Bahrain and he was not comfortable. And you could see it actually in the driving. He just wasn't able to get the power down out of the corners and he was braking earlier into the corners, which just seems to suggest that he didn't have the same confidence in the car as clerk, who was very, very happy from it, uh, with it from the moment they unpacked it.
4: You can almost see it's the same issues he's been having in Australia as well. It's kind of two races in a row where Vettel's relative lack of performance has sort of come down to a sort of setup issue as well. And we've been hearing a lot of guys talking about, uh, wind affecting the performance of the cars oddly enough it seems like somehow these cars are a bit more susceptible to it now maybe it's because more downforce is being created on these cars despite the front wing regulation changes you know they've got that downforce being creative in in other ways now in other places of the car and actually they're a bit more susceptible to it and in Bahrain in particular you get quite a lot of that
2: well, I'd have to say, given the fact that they're faster this year than last year, you absolutely will be assuming that there is more downforce on the cars, because that is what ultimately makes them go faster. Uh, but it's interesting you bring up the wind, uh, because Lewis Hamilton talked about using that to his advantage when he passed Vettel. But I saw someone make an interesting point that, because of the nature of that headwind into turn four, as Hamilton came around the outside and got in front of Vettel, he was also, uh, much like Verstappen in front of Ricardo and Baku last year, taking downforce off of the car as Vettel was trying to accelerate, and it's off-camber right there. So it, it may, as bad as the error looked, and the fact that Vettel owned it as, yes, it was my mistake, it may not have been as bad as it looked to us. Remember, just
4: before the beginning of the season, we talked about the front wing designs and how some of these teams have just designed them to screw the car behind them in any way they possibly can. Because now the, the wash sort of tends to go out the side of the car with the new front wings. Uh, go If you've got a car side by side with you, that car has now got less downforce uh, when it's wheel to wheel with you. Um, the effect is probably still not as bad as when you're directly behind that car but nonetheless it's different from what it was last year so we're starting to see that effect um on it as well just kind of on Leclerc as well I have to say I am really quite surprised that he's gotten up to this pace so quickly maybe the setup issues around the team are, are masking that a little bit but We've seen great drivers struggle to get on the pace this quickly when they move to new teams.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Did you happen to see that uh, Peter Windsor video on Leclerc versus Vettel? He did a very interesting analysis of the driving style. And he rates Leclerc as being a better driver than Vettel, as having that, that certain something. But he made an interesting comment to me, and I, I wonder what you think about this, is that that maybe... 20% of the turns, will you be able to see a difference between Leclerc and Vettel? Only only in those certain turns will you really see the difference time-wise. And Bahrain had those, but not every track does.
4: Well, the, uh, the side-by-side comparison between them after Bahrain qualifying was fascinating because it did just come down to a couple of corners where uh, Leclerc was quicker. Vettel made up time in a couple of other corners, but maybe three or four corners, there was a difference. The rest of the lap, they were pretty much identical.
2: Yeah. And so what I'm taking away from this is that although Leclerc has arrived with a great fanfare, he's only got, at best, a 20% advantage over the course of a whole season. So I think if you're a Vettel fan, it may not be time to pack the suitcases and move on just yet, especially because he has still a fairly large experiential advantage. Because, uh, Leclerc doesn't know all of the tracks as well as Vettel does.
4: And I th- if you were to ask me, you know, to the, the the Leclerc versus Vettel thing, if you were to ask me, you know, co- to compare Sebastian Vettel a few years ago to Leclerc now, I would say Vettel was the better driver. Compare Vettel now to Leclerc, minus a few rough edges, just because this is only a second season in Formula One, Leclerc is a better driver and will be. A better driver. I think as his career goes on, he's gonna be a guy who ends up fighting for multiple championships. Yeah. You know who else's car didn't feel good to him? I mean that list just goes on, doesn't it? There are so many unhappy guys, aren't there?
2: Botas, in particular, did not like his car this weekend. And I think that's that's kind of interesting because um Uh, James Allison was explaining that, well, you know, it's a lot of different things. It's the wind. He actually said that the wind effect doubled in Bahrain in terms of its effect on the car. But he was never really happy with the car the way Lewis was, which is sort of the opposite of the way it was in Australia. But what's particularly interesting about that is that, remember, Botas only has a one-year contract. And so he's got quite a lot to drive for. And it's kind of fun to see him um, in sort of the same boat as Vettel. But do you know who reportedly Toto Wolf has been chatting with? The Verstappens. Go figure. Explain that to me, Chris. I mean I don't think I have much of an explanation for that to be honest. <laughs> you're, <laughs> not, you, you're presenting <laughs> this like you have all the facts. What <laughs> you them out instead of That's trying to Because I stole all this stuff from the internet while you were busy at your quote unquote work.
3: Ah, yes, jobs are, are hard. So what do we make of the general following? Because there's a mixed reaction from the drivers. Visually, Chris, I know it's it's Bahrain, and Bahrain gives us good wheel-to-wheel action. It is enough to give us hope, isn't it? And when you get Kimi Raikkonen, who is rarely vocal on anything, going, yeah, yeah, I think it's easier to follow, that is a good sign.
4: Absolutely. The general consensus is now it's easier to follow it's still difficult to overtake because the tyres are still not fully optimised uh, for it and they still overheat a fair bit. But in terms of following, I think we can say that these regulation changes have been a, a minor success and a good teaser for what we're expected to see in 2021 when they make the big overhaul uh, changes. All right, well,
3: let's let's stick with 2019, Matt. Where are we seeing, in general, these cars struggling to follow? So it's not down the straight because you're not having to to do too much work. In fact, if anything, the car in front is punching a hole in front of you. We're talking about uh, the corners where is is It's high-speed, high-G corners. That's where you struggle to follow if the car in front is disrupting your aero.
2: Well, basically, in any kind of a corner is where the downforce matters most. And... So where they are going to have more trouble is when they get into longer bits with less straights in between them. The car behind has less downforce. In fact, um, I think I have a pull quote from Pat Simmons somewhere, if I can find it, that they are working on. Yes, here we go. Um, right now, the at one car length, the car behind has about 50% of the air relative to the car in front. And that means effectively half the downforce. So the longer the turns go on, and so this would be the long high-speed turns would be the worst, the more the tires have to make up for it, the hotter they get and the quicker they go out. And what I remember hearing from uh one of the other drivers, I don't remember who it was, was that it might have been Rankin and saying that they could definitely get closer and stay closer, but the problem was the tires were still overheating At that distance, so this is a problem that Pirelli is trying to solve, and in fact, they're probably were working on it at the testing in Bahrain because both days they ran cars to Pirelli test, not to team test. And this is despite Pirelli actively saying in twenty
4: nineteen that's our aim for the new spec of tires. Um, which clearly they've still got a bit of work to do, um, on that. But just on the, the point about, you know, the, the air going over the cars, it's not just a, the lack of air, but it's the fact that it's turbulent as well. The fact that the air has already been disrupted by the car in front. It's not smooth, silky, clean, crucially predictable airflow going over the cars and it goes over the, the cars and the bodywork and the wings not in the way that the designers have hoped for. So that's why when you see tracks like Suzuka, for example, where it's got the long high-speed S's section, cars just really, really struggle to follow through there. That will be the ultimate test of these regulation changes.
2: It's encouraging the cars can follow. And it's important to note that Pirelli didn't expect the, ty- the cars to be as fast as they are. In other words, they were promised cars that would be slower this season. Instead, the cars are faster. If there's a place the 2019 regulations haven't worked as intended, it's going to be they, they the cars have managed to regain and add downforce from what the uh, FIA had projected. Well, it, it, could you
4: argue that they, they never really wanted to slow them down and it's just an unfortunate consequence
2: of reducing yeah. dependency on a car? Well, no, I I, don't, I think they projected the regulations to slow the team down. I don't think they cared to slow them down or wanted to slow them down. I think they saw that as a byproduct of the regulation change and Pirelli acted accordingly. But in reality, the teams were able to claw back all the downforce and some extra. Sounds like
3: you're both furiously agreeing, to be honest. But Chris, do you know what is the main factor that stops go-karts following each other closely? Do you know, Chris? the
4: woefully poor inept drivers
3: like you and me apart from that all things being equal weight is the biggest issue in a go-kart now chris it is 14 days until in fact 13 days until we go to rye house for the missed apex karting event as you can tell on the video version i am looking svelte i'm practically wasting away um, to tell you what that's not true i properly ricky hatton christmas i uh i I didn't i weighed myself over christmas but i didn't track it and looking back at the app that has been tracking it i fully i had a much better christmas than i thought but i'm back in semi fighting shape for a 38 year old dad i would put myself in the nearly not fat category for specifically for this event chris if we had karting every month i would be spanking gorgeous
4: uh, no comment on that. What I will say is that I think I've had the opposite issue. Yeah, because I've put on weight since I started my new job. And I really hope, are there scales at Rye House? Am I going to be disappointed when I get on them? Well, if you,
3: the tactic for you would be to put on so much weight that you could enter the 90 kilogram plus category and, and win that. You could go for that. Mind you, that's no excuse because Jack Nichols weighed in at 95 kilograms last time because he's massive and tall, uh, tall he's tall. Uh, and he came fifth overall, I think.
4: Yeah, I was just about to say, as long as Jack isn't coming, because he is rapid in a go-kart. Well, it's Jack's birthday.
3: That's, that's why I can't come. So do wish Jack a happy birthday on that day. Uh, who have we got coming? You've got you and me, who are the main commentators as it happens, because I don't have another commentator. You will, you will need commentary when you're, when you're in the races, but luckily that means that you'll definitely be able to commentate the, the A final, which is good.
4: Oh, I know. It's it, I, uh, There's not a slam on me at all. I know I'm not going to make it. I was slap bang in the middle of the B final at our <laughs> last event, so I was superbly average. Superbly average.
3: Yeah, that's good. Um, who have we got coming? We've got Bradley Philpott, who won't be supremely average, and Kyle Power, who is very, very quick as well. And we have Alex Brundle is going to be coming along. Wex superstar Alex Brundle, who is very quick also, obviously, and actually remarkably good on a commentary mic as well.
4: He is good. He is really, really good. And he has a good laugh with it as well, crucially.
3: Yeah, he does. Uh, and I know he keeps his hand in with karting to keep himself sharp. So it should be good. Who else have we got? We've got Sarah Nickel, who is one of our panellists, and Alex Van Jean as well, who is who is swearing blind he is going to wipe me out on the track. And if he's willing to go that far off the racing line, Chris, I say good luck to him.
4: He's going to have to slow down quite a fair bit before he gets back to you or uh, hope that he uh, laps you.
3: Still a few places left. Go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Tickets are £79. There are three heats and then everyone gets a final. You qualify. If you're rubbish, you can qualify for the C final, which is great because everyone there will be rubbish too. And then a B final and then an A final of which I am trying to qualify at the bottom of. That's my aim. If you're in a rental suit, we'll provide you with bibs with your name on the back. Makes all the difference with racing. Honestly, if you get wiped out, you know exactly who to go and yell at after the race. It's great fun. We'll hang around for a beer afterwards. And uh, there's a live podcast recording at half ten in the morning. That's Ry House. April 20th, missed apexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Big dirty news. Matt, more power unit and MGUK things. Oh, yes.
2: Well, if we're going to talk about false. Then we should absolutely pause as we have a lead. Talk about Renault, or as I called them in the title, Ren- Uh oh, Renault. Oh, that's what that means. I wasn't reading that
3: well. Okay, so let me get this clear in my head. So basically, uh, all, both Renault cars just gave up <laughs> towards the end of the race, and it was almost so woeful. I didn't bother actually finding out what happened. I sort of just shrugged and went, "Well, I guess that's Renault season if they're both just pulling up randomly." Uh, so, what actually happened?
2: Well, uh, they both stopped on the same lap in the same corner. Uh, I believe one of the cars had an MGUK failure, and we'll be able to confirm that when we look at the uh, parts list that the FIA puts out in scrutineering. And then the other one had a PCU failure, uh, and this is just guesswork on on Scarb's behalf. Uh, which is what controls the switching of the electric current between the MGU and the battery, basically. So basically, they had electrical systems failures on both of them. And we already had one in the first race on Carlos Sainz's car, which means that they've had three electric failures in two races. And I guess that means that's why we don't buy our electronic equipment from France. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Racist, but... (laughs) <laughs> we'll roll with it. I,
3: I don't think we have any know. French listeners. Actually, hello to our French listeners. Do do let us know if you are listening from France. Uh, we do have a big German and Dutch listenership, though. So just don't don't annoy the Dutch, if that's all right.
2: Right. We won't say mean things about Max.
3: He's got brilliant.
2: It. It's just that great. Beat everybody. Uh, but it, it's it's got to be frustrating because they had these issues at the close of last season. They've got Ricardo. They've got Hulkenberg. And yet, and they were running very well in the race. They were on they were on point to take over best of the rest by a fairly large margin. And they walk away with no points, uh, less than 10 laps from the end. And uh, it's fair to say as well that, you know, th- these are not really surprising
4: things we're seeing from Renault because this is an engine that was based off of last year's Spec C, which we know was quick, but not reliable. And that's why Renault ended up choosing not to use it at the back end of uh, last season and yeah we're already seeing those issues crop up Um, the fact that Carlos Sainz is already on his second MG UK I know at this point in the season doesn't look promising but if I remember rightly Valtteri Bottas managed to get through the rest of the season uh, without taking a penalty for it I may just be making that up, but that is from memory he didn't take a penalty for uh, uh another mg uk despite you know blowing his in the first qualifying session um of the season so there's there's a, a glimmer of hope there for these guys i think yeah you get two mg
2: uk's for the entire season and he's using his second one really yeah whoa okay hang
4: on a minute
3: but okay so they are wow that's this is new information but that is separate to the power unit as you get three power units. Is that right? And so then it, yeah. when you change your first power unit, you use it with the first MGU.
4: No, The, the MGU-K is part of the power unit. So you get three ICEs um, uh, and of everything else. I think you get three H's as well. The thing you get two of is the control electronics and ah. the K.
3: Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm, non- I'm none the wiser. So you have to use the original K with your second power unit. Your second ICE that you change. All right, cool. I understand, Matt. I understand all the things.
2: Yeah, basically the Ks weren't breaking at all, so they reduced the total number allowed for the season so the teams would spend less on them. And then apparently Renault has opted for a strategy of blowing them up as rapidly as possible in their pursuit of points. (laughs) So it's not going to work out well for them on penalties long-term unless they solve this problem. Whether they solve the problem is what we're all looking for. And this is going to be, you know, very interesting. And it got to be worrying our friend. um
3: Our friend Cyr- Cyril.
2: Abit- <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, now, hang on. We don't have anything against Cyril Abitable. Uh, of course, you can go on YouTube and see what Matthew Carter thinks of Cyril as he tells his story about Singapore. Uh, that posted so uh, Quite the rounds on the internet the other night. That wasn't even part of the main show, but there was a poll in the patron Slack group and we yielded to public pressure, didn't we, Matt, and posted that
2: clip. Yes, yes, we did. So go listen to it. It's funny.
3: Some Renault power united cars, though, Matt, did finish. And last season and the season before that and the season before that and the season before that, we've given McLaren quite a bit of stick. Can we... Can we at least acknowledge that with their new superstar British driver in the 2019 season, they're looking all right?
2: Yeah, no, they are actually tied um, with, uh, I think Alpha is best of the rest by two points right now. And they're tied with Haas for fifth place in the Constructors Championship. And I think had had you told Zach Brown he'd be tied for fifth and with cars regularly making Q3, I think he'd have been a happy bunny. At the beginning of the season, they look better. But more importantly, we haven't even seen, um, is it Andrea Seidel who's coming in yet? He doesn't even start till May 1st. I think what we're seeing is a management structure at McLaren that's finally aligned and pointed in a single direction. And that's got to be really good news if you're a fan of Papaya.
4: No James Key at the team uh, either yet. Remember all that big controversy from last season as well. We yet to even see that take place. But you'd have to say McLaren have most definitely taken a big step forward from where they were last year. The, the issues are, are still there, but they're sort of minimized. You know, They're not quite as noticeable anymore in terms of the car handling. Um, would you even argue that they are better than the Renault Works team at this moment? Uh, given the resources behind that team, you would certainly hope so. But I will take this with a bit of a pinch of salt until kind of the mid-season because we saw McLaren have a relatively decent start to last season as well and then just majorly slipped back after a few races. Was it last season the, now we can fight? That's yeah, that's a I- really lucky safety car result that was even luckier than Vettel winning that race.
3: That's that's how I felt when I stepped on the scales and it, it started to bother the, the 12 stone marker. I was like, yes, now I can fight at the karting. All right, then let's let's talk about where we f- think these teams do slot in because Renault are kind of de facto fourth as the fourth works team. Arguably, Haas could have finished fourth last season had they kept all their wheels on the wagon. So, you know, where do we where do we think the teams are lining up at the moment, Matt? most people would say still Renault Haas, and then and then who then is it McLaren bothering them then and then Toro Rosso then Alpha or Alpha then Toro Rosso
2: yeah well it's really hard if you look at the standings well right now Alpha's in the lead i think if we're looking at raw pace i think the Haas is the next fastest car on the grid and then probably Alpha and Renault are about the same with different ones prevailing at different tracks uh McLaren is slightly behind them but they have an awesome driver pairing. And they've been at circuits that have favored them. They've kept their nose mostly clean, except for Carlos versus Max. And they've had more, honestly, they've had more pace than I think anybody expected them to. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them keeping it keeping their nose in there and being in the fight when it comes to the end of the season. I just want to uh, clarify my James Key um, comment, actually, the fact that he has
4: started the team but we yet to see the effect of him um being at the team but on Haas they're definitely the shout for the fourth best car once again and it's it's the model that they're continuing to to show is the way forward for smaller teams in formula 1 i think
3: you, you like that Haas model Let, let's be let's be honest here with our biases as a, as a yank, is that a hate word? Is it yank? Am I, am I being unwoke? Can I say yank? I
2: mean, as it doesn't bother me, but you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm not the person to make that call.
3: So. As American, you're obviously gunning for your American team. Haas, they've come in with a de- very different model, quite close to the customer team model that, in fact, you and I, I think we were in, in agreement about four years ago when these discussions came up and we said, well, if that if that enables teams to come onto the grid and be competitive and give us better racing, why not? I think I wanted three car teams. Let's have three car customer teams to just bring everybody up and we can see a little bit more of the driver skill and we can see more of drivers in equal equipment. So I'm not adverse to this model. I don't have this romanticised vision that you need to have Williams and Mercedes – sorry, Williams and McLaren – as these pioneer independent teams coming up through F2, a la James Hunt's team in Rush?
2: Yeah, well, this is just a hangover from the Garagista era of Formula One. And Formula One has been through many, many different... It used to be able to... Drivers would swap cars. Teams would bring extra cars to certain races. They would rent cars out to other teams for certain races. You had non-championship races with extra people in them. Formula One's been through lots of iterations, Uh, but the reality is the model that Haas have chosen for their business was one that was simply sitting there unused in the current regulations. And so they used it. And in fact, the teams that have a history and a tradition and and feel like it's not fair because they came up under previous regulations, so they have extra car building capacity. They're like, this is cheating. Uh, they've actually gotten a uh, concession in the 2021 regulations that we will uh, talk about from now until, I don't know, 2022? No, because when we get to 2021, you'll be obsessing over the 2025 <laughs> yeah.
3: regulations. But,
2: but this is a big deal because um, you know there's a section, the listed parts, and if it's a listed part, you either have to build it yourself or you have to get it from a third party and own the intellectual property to it. So docks had been taken off um, of that some years ago and they've been added back on. So that means that Haas is now going to have to design their own and have someone build it or design it and build it themselves. And that's very much a reaction to uh, the Force, uh, the racing points. I'm sorry, I went to say Force India, the racing points, and the Alphas and the Williams saying this isn't fair. They're just following the rules and <laughs> not the history and tradition.
3: Do, do you remember that Simpsons episode where there was a supervillain taking over the East Coast of America, and he said to Homer, "Hey, uh, pick a country for me to bomb: Italy or France?" And he said, uh, "France." He said, "No one, no one ever picks Italy." N- Renault's no one's favorite team, are they?
2: Well, I think they might be Carl Powers' favorite team.
3: Really,
4: Chris?
2: Now the Ricardo's there.
3: Oh yeah. No, there's that, isn't there? There's the Ricardo factor. However, has are winning hearts and minds a lot down due to that Netflix series, but also Roman Grosjean's a fairly popular driver. I think, even though some people have ridiculed him, I think he's got a lot of fans and a lot of goodwill because he seems painfully nice,
4: Chris. Yeah, Kevin Magnussen as well has got one uh, with, with the fans as well. But, you know, I, this the Haas model is just great. I remember at the, uh, the beginning of last season after the uh, really strong Australia showing, that I remember writing this feature about why we should be allowed to expand on this and other teams should copy this model. It, it just works. It's a plain fact. They have come in and outperformed every new team of the last decade.
3: Absolutely. And depending where you are in the world, you may be about to hear a word from our sponsors.
0: If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
1: Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
3: So, we were just finishing, finishing up talking about the midfield there, and I, I will add further to that conversation about the drivers that obviously Hulkenberg does have his own following as well, but Kevin Magnussen. If you put Kevin Magnussen now in a top three team, I think he would be one of the most divisive drivers in F1. Like he would be Hamilton level divisive.
4: Verstappen level as well, I'd say. He is that kind of aggressive driver when it comes to -to wheel-to-wheel stuff. We've already seen, yeah, even in the midfield pack, it's a little bit more competitive there. But in that pack, he has been turning heads, upsetting people, not least Nico Hülkenberg. I'd love to have seen what would have happened if when he joined McLaren, they didn't start turning into a midfield back market team because by rights, that should have been a, a launch pad for him to something great in a Formula One career. And he arrived at just the wrong time, didn't he? And he's stuck in the midfield at the moment because let's be honest, there aren't really too many openings at top
2: teams at the moment. Yeah, he and Perez both. In fact, uh, we're pretty much sunk by being at McLaren, wrong place, wrong time. Van Don as well, but yeah. he is gonna get, he's going to
4: get—he's going to end up with a factory Mercedes drive in a few months anyway. So, uh, let's move on a little bit, Matt. Red okay. Bull, Red Bull have the reputation
3: for having a fantastic chassis, and we've not lumbered them in with mclaren when mclaren have claimed to have the best the best chassis in turn seven of some tracks as long as it's sunny but not too sunny with a bit of cloud mclaren always had the best chassis when it came to uh having the honda engine it was just all honda's fault we've never had that suspicion with aero uh with aero problems with red bull because they have such a great aero reputation uh the blown diffuser for example, being one of those innovations that just launched Sebastian Vettel to his four world titles. However, the, the reports are now that they have a power unit that is competitive. Lewis Hamilton reckons it's, what, 10 brake horsepower down from the top two, which isn't all that much. But Red Bull themselves are saying, actually, we don't, we don't have a grip on, on our aero. And we speculated... I went all summers there, didn't I? On our aero. We speculated before the end of the season... Would Red Bull's aero package deal with an actual powerful power unit after it had been compensating for a, a low-power power unit for so many years, i.e. let's trim everything down, suddenly they've got the power to punch through some aero, and it's not quite happening yet?
2: Yeah, well, the the aero that they have, and, and let's recall that a lot of this is under the halo, uh, halo of Adrian Newey, genius. And he is. He's designed... A remarkable number of incredibly good cars. But at the end of the day, he was designing cars for a power plant that was underpowered and unreliable. And now they have a power plant that is, at least so far, reliable. And it turns out that what they've designed isn't really working very well with the power that they have in the sense that they're having difficulty setting it up correctly, and they're having difficulty keeping the downforce on the car at all times. There is a contributing factor to this.
4: Remember when we talked so much about Pierre Gasly dropping it in pre-season testing twice? He did it uh, uh, on right before the last day. So it was his last day in the car. He had another big crash, and on that day, they had a load of development parts on the car that they only had one lot of and he wrecked them so that meant they arrived in australia with a very unoptimized car with the parts that they had on it obviously between testing in australia they were to remanufacture those parts for both cars as well and they've probably got some spares at this point as well but what you can very much say is that they just haven't quite found the right key elements there to make this current package work nicely the the words that christian is using to describe it and it's very refreshing uh to hear him you know blaming the car rather than the the power unit it must be said um but um difficult to drive small operating window they're the key figures that have been used to describe the car
2: yeah, well, I think it's also important to note that uh, when Helmut Marko was discussing this, he basically said what you saw in Bahrain was a continuation of what we saw in Australia. It was just much worse in Bahrain, and particularly this is on the soft tires that they're having this setup problem. And he, uh, they went on to observe, um, I think, uh, that essentially in some corners, Haas is as fast as them. And if we recall the race signs had literally passed verstappen into that corner i mean he was flat out ahead of him if he had not tried to close the door that violently I, it would have been a legitimate overtake of mclaren on a red bull that's where they are with their car right now
3: Ah, right, no more to add then chris should we let matt loose on the 2021 regulations i know he's obsessed with them so why don't we cover them a little bit and then we'll talk about the china Grand Prix a bit of a China preview if the China preview isn't too close in the future for you Matt I know you only like to think about eight or ten years ahead
2: yeah anything more than that is just wasted effort
3: all right let's look at these 2021 rules we've just had a a minor rules shake up what are they looking at in 2021 apart from giving me back terrestrial TV uh, what else can we wish for
2: well I think the thing to look at is we've gotten at least a preliminary list of some of the types of parts. That are going to be spec'd out, meaning the teams will no longer be responsible for building them and designing them on their own. And they include such incredibly important things as calipers, brake discs, brake pads, steering columns, rims, the halo, crash structures, drive shafts, brake and accelerator pedals. Wait, wait, so, wait,
3: wait, wait. Let, let's slow that yeah. down for us idiots who don't follow the spec parts catalogue. Believe it or not, there's still some of us out there. Is is that a major increase? What, what are the main things that are are different? The brakes are different.
2: Yeah, well, I think the main thing really is, I'm, as I read through this list, you're going to ask yourself like, oh, teams design their own brake pads. They could buy them off the shelf. They design their own calipers. Well, hang on Again, a minute. They, restric- they
3: probably don't design their own calipers. They probably subcontract that out to yeah. one of two firms. So what we're saying now is that they will all be forced to use the same type or types of caliper brake disc and brake pads maybe they can pick from a couple of configurations but generally that is going to be specced out how much of a difference is this increase in spec parts going to make to the series of formula one because 2021 will be honest before we know it goodness knows i thought 2020 would never come around i mean that would be 2020 can't happen because then i'll be 40 and that would be horrible chris
4: do you know what? Everyone talks about it now, like, oh, it's, it's awful that Formula One is going towards spec parts. But let's be honest, it's a bit of a necessity at the moment. But do you know what? You are not going to notice it when you are watching the race. I guarantee you, you're not going to think, oh, wow, that car never would have outbraked that car if they were developing their own brakes. But the fact that they're specced out, oh, the racing's so much better now. I'm so angry about this. Arr. But is, yeah. it, is it
3: freeing up resources of the team to work on other areas or, in
4: fact, reducing the overall bill? Developing the right parts, the performance parts that actually matter. Things like the fire extinguisher is just a needless expense, you know? And no, no, no. You're not so, to, you're uh, so <laughs> angry
3: about a fire extinguisher. That's amazing. Matt, can
2: you see the passion? I didn't know he was such a fire extinguisher connoisseur. It's always fun when you discover people's hidden passions, isn't it? <laughs> we were having a great chat uh, in, in the Slack chat and... Someone pointed out that nine of the 10 uh, gearboxes, which is, this is one of the, the gearbox cassette is one of the spec'd out parts. Nine of the 10 teams already buy their gear cassettes from the same supplier, but each one supplies different parameters. If you formalize that, then these parts cost less for everybody. And let's face it, they don't, they're not what's making the difference in terms of how the car does. So the point of these is to take the parts that don't matter, like the, the throttle, the throttle pedal. Why should the team give any thought to that whatsoever other than buying it off the shelf? If I'm a Formula One team and I have extra people, I will say, go design me a better throttle pedal. But wouldn't you rather have them pointing at the areas that actually differentiate larger bits of performance? So I think it shows that we're not, we're not in danger of becoming an all spec indycar type series no but maybe
3: they could spend a bit more money in developing good drivers from all socio-economic ethnic and gender backgrounds chris maybe they could do that and increase the driver pool and have better quality drivers isn't the biggest differentiator out there on the grid at the moment the
4: seat steering wheel interface
3: you know let's let's have a bit of concentration on that
4: no no for I guarantee it, Formula One will still be 80% the car in 2021, and that's fair enough, because that's the way Formula One has always been, is at the moment, and will always be. Um, The other thing that is really interesting about, you know, this, this is all part of cost capping as well. They're working out some numbers slowly, but surely. There's a bit of a delay on this whole thing. We were going to get uh, a s- regulation set in stone in the summer. It's now going to be closer to December when we we get that. But it's the other things where they're looking at the aerodynamics as well. They're going to be relying more on ground effect in 2021 so that when you're following a car, you're only losing 5% of your downforce rather than 50% of your downforce.
2: Yeah, that was an interesting Simmons quote that I I referred to earlier. It's 95% at one car length and and at two car lengths, currently it's 75% and they want it to be 100%. When they get to twenty twenty one, so this is this is what they're aiming at. They're aiming at a series where the cars can once again follow closely, and perhaps uh, we'll address some of the other criticisms that the drivers have had of current generation cars.
4: Engines as well, we're going to be different as well. They're going to be noisier, answering a fan complaint that I've not stopped hearing about for the last five years. Uh, We don't have any details on that at the moment. I'm sure we'll get some, but also more powerful. one thing I'm really hoping is that they open up development on the MG UK a little bit. They're way more capable of producing 160 horsepower, which they're kind of limited to um, at the moment. And it will be more in the driver's control in terms of its deployment. So I, I like don't, that.
3: I like that. I lot. don't,
4: by the sound of the document they released, I don't think they're going quite back to that push to pass old KERS system. But in terms of where you deploy the driver gets a, a lot more input um on it i don't think it's as simple as just push a button and you get the push though
2: right well it's interesting to look at what the drivers are saying about the current cars and our friend hulkenberg uh is complaining about how easy the cars are to drive specifically due to the amount of downforce um the braking zones are now so short that even if you're better on the brakes it's not much of a difference the downforce is so heavy on the cars even through the turns that no amount of delicacy on the throttle will see to you any advantage and my favorite is in addition our cars are lazy as tanks when changing direction we carry too much weight with us so if they can get the cars lighter that would be a thing i believe
4: definitely lighter 100 percent agree with you but more power definitely remember back in 2014 when there was snaking about all over the place we need to go back to that
3: If the Formula One cars are too quiet for you on the rare occasions that you are watching it in real life, then just stand closer to the track and increase the amount of volume that goes into your ears. If watching it at home, simply turn the volume up. Are you enjoying this show? Are you enjoying the audio? Or are you watching us on video on YouTube? If you're listening to us, I would urge you to subscribe on your podcatcher. That means that you will get the show delivered to you on your device. Every single week or every, every two times a week. Hang on. Is that bi-weekly or is that, is that every two weeks? I don't know. But we do do about six shows a month. Get them delivered to you on your device by subscribing and don't rely on us posting. If you're enjoying the show, I would urge you to support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. It is not an exaggeration, is it to say, Matt, that in September last year, we had some hard choices to make and that without Patreon, we would not have survived.
2: I think that is a very definite thing. Without the Patreon model and without our patrons, it's, it's a wash as to whether or not we'd be here right now.
3: And, and that is actually why most podcasts that survive do survive. Podcasts that have backing, we don't, survive. And podcasts that are supported, survive. It gives us the tools that the big boys take for granted to try and and get into everybody's face and into everybody's space, even just to have the chance to say, hey, we might be worth listening to. But I'll make this appeal. If you're somebody who pays for a music streaming service but listens to podcasts as much as uh, you listen to music, why not match the money you spend on your streaming service On And I'm not saying that should all go on us by any means, but you pay for the music service to support Ariana Grande, and she's already got a private jet, so why not also support some podcasters? I'm not saying, you know, just us, but if you do want to give us a bit of that share, uh, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Here's some stats for you though, Matt. Last season, a podcast of 50,000 downloads per show was enough to be in the top 20 of iTunes sports category. Now, iTunes isn't all about downloads, but it's a bit of a guide and it helps. Last season, we were delighted if we got 7,000 downloads in the first week of an episode. I'll tell you now, boys, the Bahrain review is sitting at 17,000 downloads after after the first week. And we had 90,000 downloads in March. We can't have done that without our Patreon base. So thank you very much. And thank you for considering supporting us. The video side has also blown up. And that wouldn't have done without Steve Amy, who puts together my lovely virtual studio and nags us and yells at us. The only thing he's not been able to do is sort out Chris's background. But from the video side, we've had 15,000 views in the last week on the video and 65,000 views on the YouTube channel in the last 28 days. None of that is possible without the Patreons. Uh, You will get access to a private chat forum where we all hang out and you'll get the patron-only show where Matt and I relax a little bit and we get personal. It's definitely worse content, but but it is definitely us, as it were. Apparently the phrase is semi-weekly. I've never heard of that. Ah, well, there There we go. Not the first time I've had something ruined by a difficult semi. Uh, Should we go on to the Chinese Grand Prix? I know we had testing, but I think the most pertinent things on our mind is what's up in China. How about starting off with just a quick refresher on what the tyres mean and what we're looking at with the colours? So last time out in Bahrain, all the teams started on softs, which were red, correct? Pretty much, yes. and then when Hamilton moved to a brand new set of softs, he couldn't turn them on, and all the the cars who moved to softs actually struggled. Have I got that right? Which way around is that?
2: Yes, well, yeah. this year you'll be happy to know that pretty much all of the cars in the top 10 will be starting on the soft tyre, because there's only soft, medium, and hard officially designated for each race. Kind of like the old Prime and Option, if you remember that. But the how hard and how soft is denoted by numbers because somebody thought that was less complicated. And so I'm going to spare you. I won't even tell you the numbers. Okay, I will. It's two, three, and four. But what I will tell you is that the tires they're bringing to China match the tires that they used in Australia. And it's one step softer across the board than what we saw in Bahrain. It's the middle range, isn't it? It's literally the soft, medium, and hard.
3: Wait, so is this conservative, Chris, or unconservative? the The complaint last season was everything was leading to one-stops.
4: Oh, well, the tyres naturally are a little bit conservative by design, but in terms of the range we actually have, this is slap bang in the middle.
2: Uh, it's, it's maybe a little bit conservative, but China tends to be a one-stop race uh, most years when there's not like, you know, two Toro Rossos crashing into each other. But I think usually that's been dictated by the fact that it's so hard to pass. The fact that it's
4: easier to follow now might change that up um, a little bit, especially with the more powerful uh, DRS. And this track is naturally very high tire wear anyway. Do they need the DRS zone on that long straight? Apparently. Apparently. (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, okay do we think do, when have we ever taken the final verdict of stewards and uh and the officials as, as what's the missed apex version do we need that drs zone down that long china straight
4: the thing is, I, i'll say no but then if they took it away you'd see way way less racing uh, I, I don't think we're actually at a point where cars just drift by and then they end up getting repassed down the straight anyway. So well they no. do
3: they do here though, Matt, don't they? It it does look a little bit motorway at China on this long straight, which is a shame because a long straight with that huge stopping zone, at the end of that straight, we see some real genuine risk-reward scenarios, you know, especially like even overtaking your own teammate, uh Gasly and Hartley. But the DRS zone on that seems very overpowered. And we're denied something of a spectacle as they literally they are done halfway past the straight they're passed
2: yeah it's uh although I will point out we had three d r s zones in Bahrain, and it worked out pretty well, so it's going to depend on how long that zone is relative to the power of the car, and we haven't I don't have that information yet, although perhaps it's out there somewhere so i'm I'm gonna wait and see, but what's nice about the straight is the hairpin at the end has multiple lines. Yeah. through it, in which Max Verstappen can drive into Vettel.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, I forgot about last year's race. That was really action-packed, wasn't it? Vettel ended up um, colliding with Verstappen, and Ricciardo went on to take a race win that wasn't really his. That was Max Verstappen's all day long after Red Bull tactically lucked into it. It wasn't luck. They, they identified it. Lewis Hamilton could have won that race. They had the same decision to make, and they erred on keeping track position, which was, frankly, useless in the end.
2: Well, actually, it would have been, I don't know, I don't remember when the safety car came out, but uh, I believe Botas was leading when that collision happened. Yeah, and that's right. Hamilton,
3: Hamilton was the first car that had the opportunity to make that decision to pit or not pit. Wasn't that right, Chris? Absolutely, spot on. Yeah, yeah, interesting race. that. Way. I do like the Chinese Grand Prix, but w- when we're talking about uh, DRS, we've got so many different types of track that I don't object to DRS say in Australia I don't object to DRS in Hungary or Barcelona where you really need something to uncork the bottle
4: somewhere like China I think we could probably get away with it couldn't we they can definitely shorten the zone I think this time around
2: yeah I agree I think like I said it's been a supposition that DRS will be tuned to allow for the greater power of it and I I wouldn't be surprised to see a different length to last year's as a result. And guys, we haven't even
4: mentioned it's Grand Prix number one thousand. Happy arbitrary number
3: day, everybody. Who cares? <laughs> why? Why? What? You like round number? You're a fan of round numbers,
4: are you, Chris? It's a it's a milestone. Oh, okay. We didn't celebrate a certain viewing figure we got last year that yeah. was a round number.
3: Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Go on, Matt.
2: All right, so I'm going to mention then that things we might look out for is a spoon wing at Ferrari. They were seen testing one, and Mercedes was seen testing. I think I heard a slightly higher rake, skinnier Red Bull like configuration as well. So we may see we may get some surprises in China. Wait, what does that mean? Mercedes
3: are running a skinnier rake like Red Bull. Is that what like you just a said?
2: A higher rake, like oh the really? Back but they they've been
3: running that long wheelbase flattish rake yeah. for a long time. They've won the first two Grand Prix. Why are they suddenly
4: trying to go all Red Bull? Well, there's always performance to be found, but I mean, that is a massive overhaul in philosophy, isn't it? And it's not a simple case of you just do that, you gain half a second it completely changed the way the car behaves and if your car is not designed for that it's just not going to work plain and simple but you know they're not just going to sit there and say we're happy with this concept we're not going to develop it any further no
2: they're constantly going to be experimenting see what else is going to work i did say slightly higher rake they're not running red bull levels of rake but they're experimenting with increasing it to try and find performance
4: But even so, even changing it a bit is 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 big. It's a it's a huge change.
2: I mean, it's it's no using
3: your fire extinguisher in a different way to regulate aero over the cooling flaps, is it? But but you know, (laughs) we can't. It can't be all about fire extinguishers all the time, Chris. Let's just talk about what we think the top two teams are going to do risk reward wise. Mercedes have had to make their own compromises with cooling, and they've gone on the the slightly more reliability side. Ferrari, we've seen two different philosophies. What do you think we're going to see? Are we going to see them coming out in China, gambling, and now everybody is saying that Ferrari have the more powerful power unit down the straight? That seems to be the narrative that we're getting. There seems to be no doubt in anyone's mind in the media. The Ferrari power unit is the most most powerful one. It's just a case of what risk-reward settings do they take?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's hard to argue with the fact that Ferrari has an advantage on the straight. Because the numbers from Bahrain tell us that rather convincingly. Well,
3: hang on a second. I'll stop you there. Didn't we hear after qualifying that Mercedes had r- deliberately run higher downforce, knowing it would sacrifice qualifying pace, because they fancied having higher downforce for the race pace to give them more overall grip, better tyre wear, etc. Could it, could it not be that the Mercedes power unit is still competitive? I don't think it's become a bad power unit overnight. But they've gone for... Do you remember Red Bull? Do you remember Red Bull in the, the... They never went for any power. They went for the highest speed possible through the corners. And they would often get stuck behind slower cars because slower cars would be able to defend on the straight.
2: Yeah, I mean, you are correct. If we mm-hmm, were talking about... Uh, let's say we have a mule car with the exact same downforce and we plug each power unit into it, then yeah, they're probably fairly equal, but in terms of the design philosophy of the cars and how the power units are being run in the race, Ferrari had a big advantage on the straights, and less of one and in fact a disadvantage in the corners, which suggests they tend to run less downforce to begin with, relative to the Mercedes. So yeah, I mean it's not a statement purely about the Ferrari power unit being better. It's a statement about Ferrari being faster on the straights because of the design philosophy they've employed to get round the whole season. I guess you would say.
3: Arth Nels just confirmed what I was saying. Mercedes also couldn't use their higher power unit modes due to a cooling issue. And like I said, I think Mercedes have erred on that, um, on that cautious side. We have to remember that Mercedes are the champions and Mercedes are used to doing what they do. And they've probably been used to taking these compromises and running at the front of the field for many years. Ferrari have had a frustrating couple of years, more likely. To take risks. I will get to some predictions in a moment, but you want to know where you can find us, guys. You will follow me already at Spanners ready on Twitter. You can be my friend on Facebook by searching Spanners ready as well. Always don't mind a, a DM or a message. Really enjoy talking to you guys. Or you can email me at spannersready at gmail.com if you prefer. Chris has recently changed his Twitter handle. It used to be awful. It's now like one better than awful.
4: Thanks. It's an upgrade. Uh, it's now Chris on racing on Twitter.
3: Chris on like on racing that Chris yeah, does it racing. Does, yeah, it does what I say is on the tin. Chris on racing on Twitter. You still do some writing?
4: Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. I do a lot of writing. Um, I've had um, some stuff in uh, a magazine these last couple of weeks. Uh, and yesterday I was at um, the simply race endurance uh, series race in uh, Milton Keynes. I was yeah. commentating on that 13 hours live stream. And I've just uh, seen a question in the chat room, will I be in Rome next week for the Formula
3: E? That is a plant question.
4: I will indeed. And it will be my last Formula E race for some time, I think, with this new new job I've been taking. But it's a good
3: thing. It's a good thing. Don't fear for Chris. It's a good thing. Bright future ahead of him. This lad, he can write, he can commentate, and now he can do professional motorsport stuff as well. And you hang out with uh, this old fella over here, Old enough to be your dad is old trumpets, but you two do e-radio together. I haven't got that maths wrong, Matt. Don't look at me like I've got the maths wrong. You are some thirty five years older than Chris.
2: Um Mr. Apex might understand that. It could be alleged.
3: <laughs> uh e radio show, you'll be covering the Rome e
2: yes we will be covering the rome epri and i believe we will be doing a preview of that this week although we have yet to confirm an exact time
3: it is the best formula e podcast that i have listened to several minutes of you can find matt on twitter at mattpt 55 his wife has a new mucky book out called you are the things that i hate and then i also love them
2: the one i love to hate close you're getting you're getting close each week
3: And follow A. Weaver Writes to support Matt so that they can make millions. Matt can buy a Ferrari and he can spend more time on Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, Matt, before I get your predictions, actually, why don't we mix things up with comment of the week? Are you ready for me? Yeah. Comment of the week. Thanks so much to a very lively chat room. I hope you'll all join us for the Chinese Grand Prix race review, 8 p.m., on Sunday, uh, we've got Joe with 8pm on Tuesday. I think that's the only shows for now. Uh, if you want to join the live chat room, go to YouTube and search "Missed Apex Podcast." Join these really funny and distracting people who's distracted us in the the best way today, Matt.
2: Well, uh, that depends. How many? How many do I get to read so I can ignore it? Oh, whatever. You're just
3: going to do what you want anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's, the, that's the advantage of being an old man
3: <laughs> yeah i've got a microphone and you will listen to every word i have to say
2: all right then uh we'll we'll start it, we'll start at the top of the show with graham kelly getting the special shout out for sarcasm of the week award hey guys loving the amount of content this week hard workers this week and this is before the show even started so I that think we could have been
3: genuine we had stuff. matthew carter on midweek and we had a race review before that and we've uh. got yeah, so we are like proper semi-weekly now that the season has kicked off. Let's take that comment as a sincere compliment.
2: That's what okay. we're doing. Okay, well, yeah. I was complimenting him for his level of sarcasm, but if it's genuine, then we'll take that too. So you win either way, Graham Kelly. Nice job. Bruce Wayne, Verstappen goes in, Verstappen comes out. Can't explain that, which I like. Um, Bruce Wayne again, standard drivers. Hamilton drives every car and declares which one is the fastest. Season over, money saved. Hashtag 44. Yeah, Jamie Ryant was one of my favorites. Engine noise problem comes purely from bitter earplug manufacturers. Oh, would you think it's a conspiracy? It's big yes. It's big
3: ear defender. Big
2: earplug. Yeah, <laughs> big, big ear defender. Uh,
3: you're just a shill for big ear defenders. Yeah, right? I like that. I love that. Our actually.
2: friend Evangelos is in with uh, Max will have a party at the breaking zone there. It might as well be a party of the Mad Hatter persuasion, but a party nonetheless.
3: He is pretty crazy. Hey, he, he showed us the way in China. He started doing that. He started making those crazy lunges in his first season it, it, at Toro Rosso, and everyone's kind of cottoned on and gone. You can do a lot into that breaking zone.
2: Yes. Uh, Josh Covey uh, is a fan of the new Pirelli names and has a suggestion that rather than numbers, they should just use cheeses. Five would be brie and one would be aged cheddar, which, which was pretty funny. But I think we're going to give the win this week to Merkman. For his double reference, or uh, about the Renault power unit, does the PU stink? Oh,
3: Renault. he's referencing yes. the bad power yes. unit yes. and yes. and the story from Matthew Carter about his confrontation with Cyril Abitabal in Singapore. Well done, Merkman. Comment of the week. All right, then I'll start off with some predictions. I predict Ferrari to have the upper hand on pace in China in the race. However, Vettel to find himself in front, Leclerc to overtake, and for there to be a coming together of Ferrari drivers that stops at least one of them finishing in the top five. There we go. Matt, how do you see the race going down?
2: Ooh, that's, that's a challenging one because I, I do still have... Mm, I'm going to go win for Botas.
3: A win for Botas? No. Okay, I think for a win for Bottas, something terrible has got to happen to Lewis Hamilton. So that's what you're predicting, something terrible to happen to Lewis Hamilton.
4: Chris? This is tough for me because I was actually really, really close with my Bahrain prediction. And now there's pressure on me. Now go on, what was your Bahrain prediction? So mine was for it to be a Mercedes 1-2, Hamilton, Bottas, and then Verstappen, which it would have been if the safety car hadn't come out. So I've I've got like a (laughs) reputation now. Um, that I have to defend. So uh, I am going to just stick my neck out on this one and say Ferrari 1-2.
3: Ferrari 1-2. Okay, you're going to stick your your neck out and you're going to go for the on-paper favourites. Oh, you're going to go for Leclerc Vettel?
4: Leclerc uh, Vettel. Okay. I I feel like it's sticking my neck out on the line because I'm still not sold on the idea that they can run quick enough to get a 1-2 reliably
3: reliably, but I think that they will take the gamble. I think they will go for it again because what they can't do is tell everybody it was the electronics unit and nothing to do with them cooking their engine, but then be super cautious in China because that that gives the game away, totally.
4: The, these next two races, they have to. They just have mm-hmm. to. They're two power-dependent circuits for them to not give it everything. Yeah.
3: And hats off to them for taking, for taking that risk and really taking the title fight to Mercedes. It is absolutely game on. It's game on at Ferrari between the two drivers. It's game on between uh, Ferrari and Mercedes at the top of the championship. I think we're in for a treat. Join us 8pm here on the live stream where I'll be chatting to international media icon joe saywood do consider coming and joining us at rye house on april 20th by going to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting and do also consider supporting us on patreon at patreon.com forward slash missed apex until next time remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was Missed apex Not being funny, Chris. You know what, chicks, don't dig. Spectacles. The spectacled men go home alone. It's just a fact. It's I'm it's not like an opinion. This is well documented fact.
4: I think if you call them, if you're the kind of guy that calls them spectacles, what else, yeah, are, you, what else right. are you
3: gonna call those face windows?
4: Because
3: that's what window. they are. Oh, look at my face windows. Oh, look at look at the